Every day, let me confess, every day I fight a battle in my head. I fight a battle every day in my head, the thoughts, and Jim just prayed to bring every captive thought. Every day I fight this battle in my head, in my thoughts, and recently I've distilled it down to the battle for what really matters. In fact, I, I say this, I say this out loud sometimes, I probably say this 15, 20 times a day, that doesn't matter, that doesn't matter, that doesn't matter, because my mind just goes places, my mind, you know, stimulus, right? You see things, you remember things, life stirs things. You see people, that stirs things. And I'm constantly fighting this battle, and I recently started just saying this, that doesn't matter, that doesn't matter, that doesn't matter, that doesn't matter. And I do that to try to win the battle so that my thoughts are where God wants my thoughts to be and to go. But there's another part of that, isn't there? Because saying or identifying something that doesn't matter requires that I know what does matter, right? I gotta have that, I gotta have that standard, I gotta have that measurement to be able to go, well, that doesn't matter, that doesn't matter. Well, what does matter? Jesus. He does, absolutely. And I hope that you were honest with each other. A few of the people that shared with me were not. They were very Sunday school people. I'll just leave it at that. You can, get, you can fill it in. There's a long list of things, right, that we might say matters. And that's, that's good. We're, we're in process. That may be a description of the battle. As I grow spiritually, then that becomes more clear what matters and what doesn't matter and what I need to just every day, every moment in this battle, say that doesn't matter. That shouldn't find a home in my thoughts. That's not going to be fruitful in my growth and my relationship with God. So what matters? Well, these letters that we're looking at from Revelations chapters 2 and 3, and this morning we're, we come to chapter 2, verse 18, and the church that was in the city of Thyatira, these letters, in a, in a very real, practical even eternal sense, are giving us a picture of what really matters to God. Now, where does, where does Revelation begin? The book of Revelation, we, we started there in chapters 1, and it begins with a description, with a picture of Jesus. So who said Jesus really matters? Who was that? Was that you, Wes? You're right. The revelation that God gives us begins with a description of Jesus. And then as he goes through the seven churches, the seven letters, he takes pieces of that description of Jesus and Jesus tells John as he's recording this write to this church and remind them of blank and then he gives a little piece of who he is and that pattern shows up as he moves through the churches they all start the same way look at verse 18 write to the angel of the church in Thyatira here's the letter Jesus here's the message Jesus wants for this particular body of believers in this city and then he gives a description that he had already given to John and that John records in chapter 1. The Son of God. The Son of God. Only time it's mentioned. This, this, I didn't know this, Master Pat. You probably did. <laughs> it's the only time it's used in the book of Revelation. The only time he refers to himself where he's identified as the, that Jesus is identified as the Son of God. What is significant about the Son of God? Jesus is claiming to be equal with God, with the Father, of the same essence. There's no difference. The Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze. And here's what he says. I know your works. I see your works. 
I see what occupies you, what you're doing with your lives. I see your love, your faithfulness, your service, and endurance. And I see that your last works, the most recent, are greater than the first. So let's, let's unpack this just a little bit. And keep this thought in mind. We're, we're trying to answer the question, what really matters? What really matters to God? So I've already mentioned he kind of describes a, a part of, a piece of who he is. And, he, and it's not, it's not um, haphazard, right? You think it's intentional? That he looks at that description he gives John in chapter 1, then he takes a piece of that and puts it in the introduction to each letter. Do you think he did that on purpose? I do too. And so here he describes himself. He says, this message is from the Son of God. We talked about that. This is from the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame, and it's the picture that nothing escapes his gaze. There's no hiding. Some of us, many of us, came into this space this morning hiding. We did. We do. We are. There's certain things in here that we're hiding. Even that person that you might be married to next to you, you may be hiding or hiding. Well, what about just hiding? <laughs> Come on. We spent time. Did I do that right, Sharon? We spent time this morning hiding. Did you not? I did. I never had a thought, never had a thought. I won this battle. Never did I have a thought to come naked this morning. Didn't even enter my mind. Aren't you thankful? Come on. So I, I, I covered, right? I covered up things. I'm trying to cover certain things, right, guys? And I, I didn't put makeup on, but I sure took a look, and is there anything I need to, you know, address? And all the while, all the while... In love, Jesus is saying, I see you. My, my eyes will burn through, my sight, my vision will burn through whatever it is that you put up to try to hide something from me. That's a little bit scary. You said amen. I'm not sure if you're saying amen because that's awesome because it's a little bit scary to me. But it is amen. It's awesome that God really does see everything as it is. And when the Holy Spirit speaks to you this morning, and I pray that he does, and he says to you, I love you, God loves you, he's saying that he loves you with full knowledge, full understanding of whatever it is that you're hiding inside, in here or here. We tracking? My eyes see everything. And I have feet. My feet are like fine bronze. It's... Some translations say brass or burnished brass. It, it has the idea of something very... Bronze, brass was the strongest metal at the time. And when it's used in, in different visions and portions of the Word of God, it always has the idea of strength and stability. And when it applies to Jesus, in this case, I think he's saying, I can't be moved. I'm solid. I'm strong. And nothing's going to move me. He's, uh, he's immutable. He doesn't change. You with me? Everything that you know to be true of God, that you have learned from about him through his word and through how he's revealed himself to you, that's who he is, and that's who he remains. And I think he's, he's reminding them and reminding us of that because he's going to talk about the circumstances in which they, they live. And if there's anything I need to know today about Jesus, one, it's that he sees everything and he loves me, and there's no hiding from him. So stop. 
Stop playing games if we are. And number two, he is solid, he's strong, he's unmovable. That wasn't very effective, was it? I need like a little better. <laughs> he's solid, he's immovable, he is who he's always been, he is and he always will be. He says, John, tell the church in Thyatira, this is who is speaking. And this is what I want them to know. I know your works. I know what you're doing with your life, how you live, your deeds. I know your love. I know your faithfulness. I know your service, how you care for others. And I know your endurance. And I know this. I know that you're growing, that your last works, the ones you most recently in your life, are greater. They're literally more than the first. Now, what do we know about Thyatira? Not much. We know a couple of things. We know, it's interesting, that this city was known for its, we would say today, unions, the guilds. All of the carpenters had a, had a guild. They had a union. All the electric, there was no electrician, sorry. The, the carpenters, the stonemasons, maybe the Uber drivers, you know, or the people that, you know, the camel drivers, whatever. I don't know. Just think about whatever the, whatever the, the trades were, if you will. Each one of them had a guild and they had a temple where they worshipped and they had a god that they looked to for help in their trade. That's not a far-fetched thing for us today, right? That still kind of happens. There's a patron saint and there's a this and a that. For, so they had, they had a place that they gathered to worship and feast together and call on the god of the stonemasons or call on the god of whatever it might be. And that dominated the life in Thyatira. It's interesting, in Acts chapter 16, we meet somebody from Thyatira. Paul is, is, is preaching, and it tells us in verse 14, there's a woman named Lydia. And she is a dealer. She's from the, the cloth makers guild, the material guild, specifically the purple cloth people, which Thyatira was known for. It was known for its the color purple, the ability it had, they had developed to dye clothing, material, certain tint of purple. And the Romans loved it. The officials loved it. They all wanted to wear purple. And it came from this particular part of the world. And this lady, Lydia, she's a dealer in purple. She sells, she's a dealer of this purple cloth. And she worshiped God. She knew God, but she's listening to, to Paul, and it says the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what he was saying. And after she and her household were baptized, so she believed the message of the gospel, she was baptized, and she says to Paul, hey, if you consider me now a believer in the Lord that I have given my life to Jesus, come and stay at my house. And Paul says she persuaded us. I'm not brave enough to unpack that word, ladies, what that means, the power that you have to persuade us to do something, so we're just going to leave it there. But don't miss this little picture of, of Thyatira. It's very possible that the church that this letter is going to was started, or at least in part was started by this lady, Lydia, who came back to Thyatira and told everybody about Jesus, the message of the gospel. That's what we know about Thyatira. What is the message here in these opening verses? Did you hear it? Did you hear the heart of God? Did you hear maybe we could say what really matters to him when he's looking at us and he's looking at this group of people on this corner and saying, okay, what really matters to me, to him, as his eyes fall on us? Go back with me to verse 19, 18, 19. I know your works. I know your deeds. I know what occupies you. I know what you're doing with your 
lives, or I would say time. Does that say something about us? Does it say something about you and about me, what matters to me, what I do with my time? It does. I see your time, and that's the word no. I really see those eyes of fire. I really see what you're doing with your life. I see the love that you have, and it is in the Greek agape. It's the love of God. I see your faithfulness. It's the word for faith. I see how you're living out your faith, or you are living a life of faith living by faith. And I see your service. I see your ministry. I see the fellowship that you have, how you care for one another. And I see your endurance. And I see, I know that you're growing, that your last works are greater than the first. Does that give you a little bit of taste of what's important to him, what matters to him? And I don't think I even need to unpack them, do I? I mean, we, we're, in a, we're hopefully on a journey of engaging those things and saying, okay, what does that look like in my life? But we know what these things mean, right? We understand. You agreed earlier what it says about me based what it reveals, what it says it's, what matters to me, what's important to me based on what I do with my time. And we could add talent and treasure too. Whatever it is that I have, what do I do with it reveals what's important to me. Do we understand the word love? God's love? Do we understand faith? Do we understand service, putting others before ourselves? Do we understand the word endurance? We do, don't we? And we understand the word growth. Do we understand the word growth? Do we? How many have not, how, well, don't answer this question. For some of us, all of our food in the last, for most of our life has come from a store. Now, I was raised, and I don't know how much we've lost of this, but, and I'm going to sound like an old man just for a couple of minutes. Maybe I sound like an old man all the time, but let me sound like a really old man, young man. I grew up, it was expected that we had a garden, and I had, to, I had a responsibility of taking care of the garden, weeding it, potatoes. I, I was a teenager before I realized potatoes were a root in the ground. I thought they came in a plastic bag with holes in them. That's, that's how we got potatoes. And then I realized, no, you stick a shovel and you tip it. What? There's, and peanuts. Did you know peanuts are in, in, what? Didn't know that. And those really tall green things that grow super fast, and then there's this really soft yellowy stuff, and it's just like super fun to play with, and then you just pull back, and inside is this, I don't know why they call it an ear, but there's an ear in there. And you can, you can snap it off, and you can just start, or you can put it in a microwave and make pop. No, you can't do that. I learned that the hard way. <laughs> do we understand what growth is and what it looks like? This pro we do, don't we? As parents, we do. As grandparents, as people, Jesus gives us a glimpse here. He says, this is what matters to me. Let, me. let me say it this way. This is significant to me, and I hope it becomes significant to us. God celebrates a life of faith. God celebrates these things. This is a life of faith. Serving others, living out your, your, your convictions of who God is, serving one another, loving one another, enduring through the difficult times, growing. God celebrates that. Now, I can't tell you what it looks like in heaven. I can't tell you, you know, if there's cake or how frequently, but there's a consistent message through the word of God that indicates that God is a God of celebration. In fact, he gave his people festivals or parties, if you will, to celebrate a life of faith in Jehovah. God celebrates our growth.
but I'm, I'm going to put it on me, but I think maybe we could all wear this. We're not really great at celebrating this as God's people. Now, my family's big on birthdays. We celebrate birthdays. Anybody else? Oh, my goodness. Gifts and cake, and this is all cake, by the way. Birthday cake. We celebrate anniversaries. We celebrate milestones, things like that. Very seldom do we get together as a family. Dad, what are we doing here? I just want to celebrate. I want you guys to join me in celebrating that I had victory over sin this week. It was so cool how God gave me victory. They're like, oh, okay, Dad, thanks. All right, okay. You know, and then they, where's the cake? <laughs> you know? Meanwhile, in heaven, what really matters to him, what he displays here is that he celebrates a life of faith. The takeaway for me is that he says, hey, I see your faithfulness. He sees what nobody else sees. Earlier, I know we all went to, when I said we're hiding things, we go to the, uh, how does he know? Those, oh man, this, this anger, this frustration, this animosity towards this person, this pride, this lust, oh, how does he? And that's where we go. But God also sees all this. He sees when you say no to temptation. He sees when you return blessing for cursing. He sees you when you forgive. He sees when you take steps to restore or reconciliation. He sees when you make things right. He sees when you love your spouse or your kids or your enemy. No one else may see it. But these all-seeing eyes, they see it, and he celebrates it. Now, why is this important? One reason it's important is because we are prone to just get stuck in the, in, the, in the failures and in the problems and in the things that I don't do. Remember the Apostle Paul. The things that I don't want to do, I do. And the things I know I should do, I don't do. What a wretched man that I am. I'm so glad it doesn't stop there. Because then he does celebrate. Who's going to deliver this, me from this? Christ Jesus our Lord is going to do it. That's what this is all about, this cross and that empty grave. But if we're going to share with him the same things that matter to him are going to matter to us, we've got to start celebrating a life of faith. And it might be public, it might be big, it might be small, it might just be you and God in the car, in the shower, with a cup of coffee, going, God, thank you. Well, because I sing in the shower, so maybe, I don't know. It just, you know, be careful having a party in the shower because it's slippery and you're going to get hurt. But don't, don't, don't miss the point. You with me? Let's celebrate what God celebrates. You say, well, I need a list of what to do. I'm going to put them on my calendar. Well, they're right there. Your works, your love, your faith, your service, your endurance, your growth. He knows your fruitfulness. He knows when you're fruitful and when I'm fruitful, even when we don't. You ever been with somebody? You ever said a word to somebody? You ever wrote a note to someone? It's just very small, and you just think, that I don't know if that had any, any impact at all. I don't know if they even heard me. I don't know if I incur... I don't know. Anyone? If there's fruit in that moment, who knows about it? God does. He does. And he celebrates it. He celebrates every victory. He celebrates every step of obedience. Every step of obedience matters to him. Jesus said it this way, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Does that matter to God? It does. This morning, I don't know if that showed up, but as we're going, so what really, what's one thing that really matters to you? 
Maybe somewhere in this crowd the word obedience came out. Maybe not. <laughs> but maybe someone said obedience. What really matters to me is obeying God, being on the same page with him. It matters to him. It mattered then, it matters today. He celebrates every step of obedience. Verse 20, however, or but, I have this against you. I have a problem. It's okay. Don't, uh, you think if Jesus showed up today and he walked in here and I'd say, hold on, Jesus, let me finish my message and then you can come up. Okay. Make sure you're paying attention. Come on up. And he would likely say, if he, this is who he is, right? Man, this is what I love about Crossroads. This is what I love about what happened today. This, oh, that was so good with that. And that, uh, you know. However, there's some things we need to talk about. That's fair, right? Because we haven't arrived. They hadn't arrived. We haven't. I have this against you. And he has something very specific. You tolerate, literally, you allow the woman Jezebel. This is likely not her name. Okay? We know, does, are you familiar with the, the name Jezebel? There's a character. There's a woman married to King Ahab. If you want to know what's, what it means when you call someone a Jezebel, go back and read it. And you'll see what he's, what he's saying here. There's a, there's a, a woman... And we're going to call her Jezebel. She calls herself a prophetess. She is a self-proclaimed prophet of God, speaking for God. And she teaches and she deceives. Literally, she is leading people away from the water to the desert, away from the truth to error. She's deceiving my servants, my followers, my slaves to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. Keep what I said before, the trades, the temples, keep that in your mind for a second. I've given her time to, reflect, to repent, but she does not want to repent. She doesn't want to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her, those who follow her teaching and go along with it, I will throw them and her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her practices. I will kill her children with the plague. Then all the churches will know. Does that include crossroads in 2023? It does. This is, this is what matters to him. He wants us to know something. Then all the churches will know that I am Jesus. I am the one who examines minds and hearts. Do you remember the eyes? And I will give to each of you according to your works. Remember the feet? What matters to Jesus, what is right, what is holy, doesn't change. Just pause with me for a second. Because we, we live in a time, and it, there's always been change in the human experience. But, and I, now I'm going to sound like an old man again. Sorry, Dad, I'm going to sound like you. But the pace of change right now, the things that are changing, the, the rapidity, rapidness, I don't know if rapidity is a word, rapidness of change, it seems to just be picking up. Right, What we think, what we believe, what we value. There's been times of tremendous change in the past. Now it feels like every aspect of life, what is right, what is wrong, what is valuable, what is not, what is good, what is not good, just seems to be changing. Meanwhile, Jesus is right there. And what is holy, all that he is, what is just, what is pure, what is righteous, what is good, what is love, doesn't change. Now, I want us to, to hang on to that for just a second. 
Thank you for the amens. Love, what love is, does not change. Because Jesus does not change. I'm not free to redefine these things. I'm not free to redefine what's good and not good. But we we, we, we want to and we do. And then before we judge the culture that we live in, let's make sure we're also looking inwardly because we do it too. We change at different seasons of life, different circumstances. We want to change things for our benefit. The eyes, the feet. He says, I know what's going on in this church and there's some people they're teaching. Now, hear me very, please, hear what I say next. The intent of this message, I believe, the application is not that we're criticizing each other and chewing each other up and challenging each other with what we're saying and, and what we're pursuing in life. We're at all different places, right? And we're trying to figure this out. And we need to be gracious and gentle and loving with one another. But when it comes to someone who is teaching, when it comes to someone who says, I speak for God, that's what she's saying. I'm telling you God's heart. I'm telling you what matters to God. And it's this. We are free to join these guilds and, and go to the worship, and, and there was sexual immorality. There was things happening as a part of the worship in those temples. And you're free to do it as a Christian. And you're free to feast and eat. Remember Paul said meat offered to, to that you're given meat to eat that was offered to, a, to an idol? Idols, don't eat, they're not real. It doesn't matter. Just eat it. But if they tell you, hey, this was sacrificed to, Jew, to Zeus, what does he say? Don't eat it. Because they're making a point of, hey, hey, let's, let's eat this meat together. This meat's been dedicated and, and it was sacrificed to this God. And let's worship this God by eating this meat. He says, don't do that. If you go to someone's house and they, sh- and they throw a big steak on your, on your plate, eat it. And you go, well, yeah, but I live in a town where most meat's been offered. Just eat it. It's just meat. But it changes when someone says, hey, this meat was offered at the guild of the, of the, of the bankers or whatever. I don't know. I'm, I'm struggling to know what they had. Okay? We'll just go with Uber drivers. The Uber drivers, you know, their guild. And, and this was offered to the God of the Uber drivers. Let's celebrate the God of the Uber drivers. And then let's do things trying to be sensitive you with me and she says you can do that it's okay and she's teaching it in the church that's not okay and he's not okay with that it matters to god what is taught to his slaves to his children do you see it do you see his heart? He says, she's deceiving. She's leading my followers away from, from water, away from the truth into deception. And it's going to destroy him. In fact, I'm going to come. If people don't repent, I'm going to destroy him. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't write this. I didn't say this. He did. But I stand with him. You want to you write something down? I encourage you to write this down. God cannot be fooled. Comma. Put a comma in there. God cannot be fooled. He is never indifferent, and he will not be ignored. My human experience struggles with that because my timeline is different than his. And I think I've gotten away with some things. Maybe God doesn't care. Maybe he's in debt. 
God is not fooled. He's, not, he's never fooled. He's never indifferent. And he will not be ignored. Regardless of what happens in, the, in our culture, and our community, regardless of what even happens in the local church, God remains the same. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And good is good, truth is truth, love is love, as defined by him, his character. And that doesn't change. But boy, before we judge these people, you think, well, I would never listen to that lady. Have, is there any, don't raise your hands, but I, I'm just going to go out on a limb, and I'll just use me as an example, but you can join me. Keep your hands down. Is, is there anyone in this space that haven't, at some point in their adult life or teenage life, been, been drawn along, bought into something, been deceived by something that sounds good and sounds fun and sounds like that should be okay? Come back with me to God cannot be fooled. He's never indifferent and he will not be ignored. Here's how, here's how it has imprinted on my heart. This might make sense to you too. Tolerating compromise today leads to embracing conformity tomorrow. If I tolerate compromise, and he said, that's the word he used, you allow this woman. If you tolerate in your life compromise today, tomorrow you will be embracing conformity with the world. That's how it works. And you say, can that happen for a follower of Jesus? According to Jesus, it can. Because this lady, this, I mean, I, I thought, if I got up this morning and I started talking about sexual immorality being okay, I would hope that everybody would go, what in the world? That Master Pat and other leaders would come up here and go, hey, you're done, you know, and off the stage. And yet this lady was allowed to teach this openly in that church. Because if we tolerate compromise, let's hear her out. Let's, you know, maybe we got her wrong. Oh, we kind of like this teaching. We tolerate compromise today, it will lead to embracing conformity to the world tomorrow. Galatians chapter 6. I don't know if I'm where I'm supposed to be with you guys, I'm sorry. If, if things are changing up there, it's because they're trying to find me. Don't be deceived, Paul tells the Galatians. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. God cannot be fooled. Remember the eyes? Remember the feet? He sees all. He's not going to change. For whatever a man, a woman, whatever a person sows into their lives they will also reap that every time when we did a garden and i learned this too that potatoes you just take a piece of potato you cut a chunk of potato and you throw it in the ground i don't know if i ever told you that but i laughed at you the first time we did that not to your face because i knew better it's like <laughs> he doesn't know anything about growing where's the little the little paper envelope with the seeds in it you know potato but guess what came up potatoes every time because whatever a man sows, he reaps. Whatever you plant into your heart, into your life, that's what it's going to produce. The one who sows to the flesh will reap corruption from the flesh. The one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So, Paul, what are you telling us? Don't get tired of doing good. Don't get tired of standing with those bronze, those brass feet, standing right next to them and standing with what is good. Don't give up. I know your endurance. For at the proper time, we will reap that harvest. Let me give you a verse to write down. Let me give you a couple of verses. We're not going to go to them. But John chapter 17, verses 15 and 18. 15 to 18. Listen to the words of Jesus. Maybe this afternoon when you're having lunch. Or read this. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20. 
And finally, Acts chapter 1, verse 6. See, what matters to God is that he has his children that he can send into the world, that he can send out and make disciples. But guys, we're not going to make disciples if we are tolerating compromise in our lives. If we're not standing with him, we got no message. We got no business sharing a message. But that's his, what he values, what's important to him is that we're sanctified and sent out. Look at verse 24 of our text, back to Revelation. I say to the rest of you, so there's this teacher, these people that are following her, I'm give, I've given her chances to repent, I've given them chances, the time is coming short where that's going to be over and there's going to be consequences, but there's others of you in this church, the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, and you haven't known the deep things of Satan, as they say, which was a phrase that was used, an idea in the first century, that Jesus had given us the, the, the truth, the gospels, the, the word of God was starting to be recorded through letters and his, his apostles, his messengers, but there was some truth that only could, be, could only be learned experientially. And believe it or not, when you went to those temples to feast and engage in sexual immorality, it was presented as a way to gain deeper knowledge of who God is and, and what it means to live in this world. It was a common phrase, it was a common belief and he says, I know that people say that, but you're not, you're not holding to that. And if that's you, I don't put any other burden on you. You just go back to, I, see your, I know your works, I know your love, I know your endurance, I know your faithfulness. I don't have anything more for you, but I'll say this. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on to what you have until I come. Hold on to what you have until I come. What you know to be true about me, this message of hope, the gospel, who I have revealed myself to be and who you are to me as my child, hold on to what you have until I come. The one who is victorious, the one who holds on until I come and keeps my... No, that's, it looks like words, doesn't it, or commands. It's works. It's the word for deeds. I'm with you though, Dennis. I, thought, I mean, I, the first couple times I read it, I said that out loud, and then I went back, wait a minute, I'm, I'm not reading it right. Whoever holds on to the end is victorious and keeps, observes, follows my works, my deeds to the end. The one who lives as I live, the one who walks in my footsteps, follows me. I will give him or her authority over the nations. He will shepherd them. And now he describes God's authority. He will shepherd them quoting from Psalm 2. Jesus will shepherd them with an iron scepter. He will shatter them like pottery. No one can stand, will be able to stand up to him. And he's, then he says, just as I've received this from my father, this authority, this rule that he's going to have, I also will give him the morning star. And as Jim prayed this morning, anyone who has ears should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Let me give you my last thought. God is all about building his kingdom. He's all about building his kingdom. He celebrates a life of faith. He can't be fooled. He's never indifferent. Right? He's, he, never, he never just is distant from us. But meanwhile, let's not forget that this is all about, right now, today, what really matters today is him building his kingdom. Now look around at your life. Look around. Does it look like God's building his kingdom? We've got to look real specifically, don't we? In fact, I might suggest that you take a look right now at the people around you, the, the setting, 
right here and notice that God is building his kingdom. He's here. We're worshiping him. We're singing about him. We're responding to him. He is speaking to us. If you're new here, let me say something I haven't said in a couple of weeks. You don't need to hear my voice. You need to hear his voice. You need to hear his voice this morning because he is all about building his kingdom. Nothing has changed for him. Everything seems to have changed for us. Nothing has changed for him. He's all about building his kingdom. For the grace of God, Titus 2, has appeared. How has it appeared? It has appeared in the person of Jesus Christ. The grace of God has appeared to us with salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness. Don't listen to this, this Jezebel, teachers like that. Deny godlessness. The, 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 the measurement, the marker doesn't move. It doesn't change. And deny worldly lusts. And instead live right now, right here, a sensible, righteous, and godly life in this present age. Why? Because he doesn't start building his kingdom. He didn't come with Jesus and, and say, okay, I'm bringing the, making the kingdom known, and then it's on the back burner, and one day he's going to come and establish it. God is still at work right now. He's at work in you and me if we'll let him. He's at work in the people, the lives of the people around us, the neighbor, the coworkers, the people that you can't see any evidence that God is anywhere near them. God's building his kingdom. He's looking for those, his children, that will go from this building and go out and live a life of faith without compromise, without conformity to the world, so that he can build his kingdom. He is building his kingdom one disciple at a time. And then he's building his kingdom in the lives and the hearts of those disciples. Let me go back. Live, choose to live a sensible, righteous, godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. I'm, done. I'm out of time. So write the, if you're writing these down, Psalm 2, 11 to 12. Go back to Psalm 2. It's all about Jesus. Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. It's all about our reigning with him. I'm going to read 2 Timothy 2. This saying is trustworthy. Paul is speaking to a young pastor, Timothy, and he says, this is, this is worth building your life on you can count on this if we have died with him we will also live with him if we endure we will also reign with him if we deny him he will deny us if we are faithless if we do not live a life of faith if we do not put our faith in him he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself church guests visitors Everyone here this morning, your life matters. If we had Jesus here and we said, Jesus, one thing that really matters to you, I, I'm confident, he, and whoever asked it, whoever it was, he would say you. You. No, Jesus, really, what really matters to you? Mark, it's you. It's you. It's you. Your life matters. The choices you and I make matter. How you live your life matters. You matter to God. I want to invite our, our worship team to come up, and we're going to prepare. I'm going to invite you with me, with us, to prepare to do something with whatever it is that he's given you, and I, and I'll, I want to start by giving you some questions, and if you have the notes, the paper notes that are on there, what distracts me from celebrating what God celebrates? Would you ask that this week? 
Why don't I celebrate what God celebrates? What's in the way? What's distracting me? Number two, how is God asking me to keep his words or his deeds? What did you hear this morning? What have you been hearing for some of you from the Holy Spirit? As you read your Bible, as you've been on Sunday mornings, God's been saying, hey, I want you to start doing this. Hey, I want you to be this. How is God asking me to keep his words, to live out my faith? Number three, what lies do I need to stop listening to? We, I, I, I feel like I say that a lot, and maybe I'm saying it to myself as much or more than anybody else. But we need to be very, very careful and very intentional about what we're allowing to come into here and into here. Whatever it means, whatever, however it gets in there. And then finally, how should the, sh- the future shape the present? How should the future shape how I live today? We're going we're to move into a time of, of responding, and we're going to sing, and I'll tell them about the prayer. Okay? There's going to be people in the back. Our prayer team is getting up right now. Watch this. It's, it's like magic. There'll be people back there. In all seriousness, there's people back there that love you and will pray with you. And it is a response. It's a choice that you and I make to get up out of your chair and go back and say, I need you to pray for me. If you ask me right now what really matters to me, the first five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten are probably not things that matter to God. And I don't want to leave today with that being the case. I want some of these things that matter to God to move up here because I want them to matter to me too and I want to celebrate what God celebrates. On, on the four corners of the, the building you see the elements of communion. The bread and the juice and it's interesting that in in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is talking to a church and they've got it all wrong. And he says some bunch of things, but one thing he says to them, he, he, he reminds them what happened on that first night in the upper room, that Jesus took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And they're eating the Passover meal. And then he took a cup, that third cup of the Passover meal, and he said, this cup is my blood, which is poured out for you. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do it in remembrance of me. And then Paul says, every time we do this, we proclaim his death until, you get it? How should that future that he's given me shape how I live today? How does the future shape the present? When I walk out of this building and I go live my life, how does my life need to change to fit what I believe to be my future? So as we're singing this morning, Let's worship him. Let's, let's pray together if we need to pray with someone. Let's come to the table and let's remember, let's proclaim his death. I believe in his death, that his death was for me and it covered my sin. And I believe it did such a good job that it's so complete that when he comes back one day and he's reigning, I get to reign with him. I just get to serve him, whatever, I don't care. I just get to be there with him and what do you want me to do? And I need to remember that and I need to declare that. And we need to see each other declaring that, that we believe that. But I'm going to ask you to do this. Before you move back for prayer or come to the Lord's table, let's engage this first song. Be thou my vision. If, you, if God prompts you to get up during the song, nobody's going to judge you. I'm not going to come drag you back to your seat. But I want us to intentionally engage the words of this song in preparation for what he's asking us to do do that between us and him father this is your moment 
not ours. The truth is, this heart is not our mine either, it's yours. This mind is not mine, it's yours. And I want to be filled with, internally and externally, in all my words and actions, to reflect what really matters to you. So help us in this moment to listen for your voice and help us to obey. Help us to respond in the way that you're calling us to respond. And all God's people said,